Father, you call us into your presence this morning. Each and every one of us, you care for, you love, you provide for in these uncertain times. We know, we trust, we have faith, we believe that you are here. Not off, far away somewhere, but you are right here. You are with us. And we are so thankful. Lord, we just lift these words to you. For our benefit, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Um, we all know that last words are important, right? And uh, 11 years ago, I think 2009, the elders of this church started a blog called The Last Word. And uh, guess how many last words we've had since then? Any guesses? <laughs> Not quite. 507. I hope we get to 15,000. We've had 507. Uh, and what the last word is, it's leaders who seek God and share what God's placed on their heart to share. And uh, it's not an official statement of the church or anything like that, but it's it's the opinion of that leader, but it's a blessing. And, and Brian wrote one this last week. Um, he shared on the need to turn our focus Godward during difficult times. Uh, next week, Beth White, one of our um, women's ministry leaders and a with her husband Josh, leads a community group. Uh, she is going to, well, she has written a last word. It's going to be published. You'll, you'll find it on Thursday. And, and you get the last word. If you get that email from us on Thursday, at the very bottom of that is the last word. You click on a link and you can go and read it. And she will share on um, seeking to help us focus on the Lord as our shepherd as we seek God first and seek his kingdom first. These are super important perspectives that we need to have in these times. So encourage you to read the last word. That's not what my sermon is going to be about today. It's going to be about first words. If last words are important, first words are also super important, right? And I, I'd like to play a little game with you. If you do have the app, church app, uh, you'll, 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 you'll be a step ahead. You'll get clues because there's some... Uh, what I did was uh, I, I looked up the... Um, I'm a literature guy. I looked up the, the first lines, the first sentences of, of some popular classic novels um, because a, a good first word will pull you into that story and will we'll give you a hint of the drama. And it might even hint at the ending without giving away the ending, right? So so here's a, just a handful of them. What the game is going to be, I'm going to say the, the first word, and then if someone would just shout out what you think, either the author or the name of the book is or both. You probably won't get the name of the book for this first one, but you might get the author. Here's the first word. It was a dark and stormy night. Anybody know? Who the author is? Snoopy, our favorite canine <laughs> writer. Remember Snoopy with his typewriter up on top of his doghouse writing his novel? That was the first line in his novel. It was a dark and stormy night. As if there are nights that are not dark, I'm not sure. But um, let's try another one. This one you may get. Once upon a time. Any Anybody know what, what classic? That's That's the first line of. Yell it out, because I can't hear you. Uh, 
Actually, I think it's that one too. <laughs> no, actually, the first use of that was in Grimm's Fairy Tales by the Brothers Grimm, right? Remember all the fairy tales. Um, so this is one you've probably heard, but you may not know. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Oh, you guys are good. Yeah, right. Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, right? Um, I thought that was a current novel describing our situation today, but, you know. Um, okay, the ladies should get this next one. If guys don't even try well, if you do try and you get it, then you get extra points, okay? It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Any guesses? Ladies? You know that, right? I'm not hearing it, but it's Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. And by the way, I don't personally endorse these sentiments. Uh, they're just titles of the books, okay? One that may be uh, hopefully a little further from political incorrectness. And finally, Call Me Ishmael. Yes, Moby Dick. Brian's good. Brian reads. This guy reads a lot. Probably others of you are saying it. I just can't hear you. Moby Dick by uh, Herman Melville, right? So that what we're going to look at today is not a work of fiction, it's a work of truth, but it has probably the most amazing first words ever. And it's my favorite book in the Bible. It's the book of John, uh, chapter 1. And we're going to read the first, if you have the app, you can see it on the app, basically the first five verses of that. Um, let's read them together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How's that for an opening line in your book? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the fifth verse is, in him was, sorry, the fourth verse, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. An incredible first word. And John is an amazing book. We'll talk about that uh, in many ways, but, but we'll talk a lot about the opening and the power of those first words. Um, for sheer audacity, the opening line in the book, which we're looking at today, which was written by Jesus' best friend, John, right? He was the disciple who, who leaned on Jesus' breast during the Last Supper, and they were close. And uh, so he knew Jesus better than anyone. Um, it takes the cake, that first line. It's audacious. It's bold. It's not even a work of fiction. It's a work of truth, but it's sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, right? It's incredible. The, um, the remainder of chapter 1 makes it clear that who John is referring to when he says the word is Jesus, but John never explains why he calls Jesus the word, and so that's what we're going to look at today. Why is Jesus called the word? Why is this important, and how does it affect us? That first verse says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That one line boldly goes where no man has ever gone in a quest to answer some very important questions. One of them is, what was there before? All that we know. Was it the Big Bang? The Big Bang was a long time ago, but there was something before the Big Bang. It was the Word, according to John. And who was Jesus? Really. I mean, our society tells us he was just, he was a good and moral guy. He was a good teacher. Uh, too bad he ended up getting killed for his trouble. But John reveals that Jesus is the eternal word who existed with God from eternity. Jesus was, he is, and he always will be. And that's something that you can only say of God, right? 
No one else can say that. Not only was Jesus with God, or even, to be even clearer, John made the point, he drives it home, and he asserts unequivocally that Jesus was God. Now, the word Trinity, I think many of you know, is not a word found in the Bible, right? Trinity, if you look up in the concordance, you will not find the word Trinity. But you will most certainly find the concept of the Trinity throughout the pages of the Bible. And this is a great example of that. Um, Jesus, the Son of God, is the second person of the Trinity. His Father in Heaven is the first person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Bible reveals, as he goes through its pages, that each of these was, from eternity, is, and always will be God. So then, what, do we have three gods? No. The Torah, in one of its most important verses, it's called the Shema, you can find it in Deuteronomy 6, 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God, three persons. The Trinity, right? It probably isn't a surprise that our, our finite brains, my finite brain, which is very finite, grapple with this. I don't understand how you can have three persons and one God, right? I, and I grapple with a lot of things that I read in the book of Gen- Genesis. You know, the idea of eternity, of existing from always, never having an end. The omniscience, the all-knowingness, the omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of God is beyond our puny brains to figure out. And these are truths asserted through all Scripture, and we can wonder about them and talk about them, but we really, uh, because we're finite, because we're not eternal, we have a hard time grasping these things. In the Genesis record of the creation of the earth and the universe, we read these words from God as recorded in chapter 1, verse 26. He says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Notice the first person, plural. (laughs) Who is the our? Who's the us? It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. It's three persons, one God. I think the revelation that God made us humans in his image is also really interesting. I think we grapple with that as well. Because what exactly does it mean to be made in the image of God? Obviously, we're not God, right? Um, We're not omniscient. We're not omnipotent. All those things. Uh, And I think you can talk about free moral choice is an important part of that. Um, The knowledge of good and evil. uh, The ability to choose to either accept or reject God. That's required by by true love. And love is a choice. And if I said to my wife, well, I love you because I have to love you, that's not quite as exciting as as if I say I love you because I choose to love you. And um, that's the way it is with God. He created us free moral beings in his image. Today we're going to hone in, however, on another aspect of what I think the image of God is. And uh, that's sort of highlighted when Jesus, when John called Jesus the Word in, in the book of John. And interestingly, John never defines what, what he means by this, but I'm going to propose to you that John, using the title of the Word, gives us an insight into one of the the very important ways that God created us in his image. Before we go there, though, let's look at, at um, a dictionary definition of the word. And if, if you have the app, you'll see this on your app. I'll read it. As a noun, the word word is this, a unit of language consisting of one or more spoken words or their written representation that functions as a principal carrier of meaning. Uh, the dictionary, dictionary goes on and on and makes it more complicated than that, but the essence of a word is that it's a unit of language that carries meaning. Using words, we convey meaning, we express meaning, we also receive meaning or we apprehend meaning. We, we interact with each other. 
and we, we express meaning to each other and we, we receive meaning to each other. So how do we humans use words? And are we alone in our use of words? Scientists de debate this, I know. Uh, many animals have language in a sense, right? Um, you know, dolphins, they say, and whales and, and monkeys can even have been taught to write and to understand some really crude and rudimentary writing. But even knowing that, humans are at the top of the food chain when it comes to our use of language, right? I mean, I'd like to see a, a dolphin um, write a novel or a chimpanzee organize a library and organize all these books or a, a bird. Birds have a lot of different calls, a lot of different language, which probably mean things to each other, but I've never seen a bird have a talk show that's broadcast into space, <laughs> right? Only humans do these sorts of things. And we as human beings, um, God created us to use language, and it's powerful. So how did Jesus, the capital W word, right, that we see in Scripture, how did he communicate meaning? This is what's really fascinating to me. Um, and the first thing that we notice when we look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is it wasn't simply his language that communicated. Even his death communicated something to us, right? And Romans 5.8 helps us to understand what that was. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what does Christ's death tell us about God? He loves us. Even if we hate him, even if we um, turn away from him. And the most important thing in our life should be the knowledge and awareness that God really loves us. Without that, we're lost. In fact, we will see that every aspect of who Christ was and the meaning, the truth that he communicated as the word relates to the unfathomable love, the grace, the mercy, the justice, and the forgiveness that God desires to demonstrate for us. Here's another interesting verse that talks about how Jesus uh, was the word and how he communicated with us, even without words. It's in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's so much there. <laughs> I'd love to preach a sermon just on that, on that verse. It's incredible in its choice of language. Uh, it says Jesus himself was the radiance of God's glory. And what that means to me as I've reflected on it, if the glory of God, this is just an example, if the glory of God was like the rays of brilliant light shining out from his throne, like the book of Revelation shares with us, if you looked into the face of Jesus, you would see that brilliance playing in his eyes. He was the exact uh, representation of the radiance of God. He was the exact imprint of his nature. We're talking about a perfect mirror. There's no such thing in our world. Right? We make mirrors that are really close to perfect, but even like the Hubble telescope, which had a fantastic mirror, wasn't perfect. Minor flaws. Jesus was a perfect mirror reflecting who God is. And a lot of people debate about, oh, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament and stuff like that. But, but that's not true. Jesus is the perfect mirror of who his Father is. So it's important for us as well to realize that Jesus did communicate using words, using language, and he did so perfectly. The Gospels are an incredible record of Christ's supreme command of spoken language. They're a treasury of truth 
grace and mercy. We can trust every word Jesus utters. He always used his language to shine a light on who God is, to glorify him, and who we are as his fallen children. He told us the truth. This is he himself was the word. His words were life, the light of men, as John says. So let's talk, switch gears for a moment and talk about our words, okay? If our ability to use language is an expression of being created in the image of God, then what does that mean for us? And we've already shared that Jesus is the perfect word, the capital W, and he communicates with great power about the nature, glory, and essence of God to us. So if we were made in the image of God, if we have the ability to use language, what does this say about our words as his children? The Bible is clear that our words also bear great power. They can be used in accordance with the purposes of God. They can bring life. The flip side of that coin is that we're fallen, and our words can also be used with great power to bring death and to bring pain and suffering. So let's turn to James chapter 3, which talks a lot about the power of our words. Let's just read a couple of verses there. And this one has become a favorite of mine as I've reflected on it the last couple of weeks. It's simple, but it just blows me away. So James chapter 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. That's part one, right? Now here's part two. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. I used to think that James was talking aspirationally, saying here's how, how you should strive to be, but now as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, well, let me ask you, do you relate more to part one, we all stumble in many ways, or to part two, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check? I relate to part one. I stumble Constantly, I've probably stumbled this morning, right? Um, I have I have universally long ways to go to be perfect. Who is perfect? Who is the one who is able to keep his body in check, had perfect discipline, had perfect uh, command of his words so that they brought life? It was Jesus. So I look at this and I say, okay, part one, that's me. <laughs> part two is Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like part two. And I think this irony wasn't lost on James because he then proceeds to give us three analogies or metaphors for what our tongue is like right after this. And they're interesting analogies. Uh, verses three, three through five give the first two. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Two really interesting analogies. I used to ride horseback, and I know from experience you can yank on that bridle. Horse is bitten in its mouth. He can be at a full gallop, and he'll stop, dead stop. And if you're not careful, you'll go flying over the top of the horse and land in front of him. I did that once. It hurt. <coughs> and... Um, similarly, with the rudder of a ship, that small rudder can turn a, an aircraft carrier and it can go a direction even against the wind. It has relatively small, has a lot of power. So uh, what about the third metaphor? It's found in the next few verses, John 5 through 6. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. 
It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Ouch. That is depressing. <laughs> and I think as we reflect on our own experience, we, many of us uh, uh, identify with it. It can be true. I wonder if you've ever, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, obviously, but how many of us ever have said something that did a lot of damage, hurt somebody that we loved, made us regret for years that we said that. That little match started a fire and set that relationship on fire. So we have to ask, what exactly is God's intent for the gift of language in us that he's given us? And an important glimpse comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's pretty clear. God's intent for language is this. It should build up others, not tear them down. And it has to benefit those who listen. How often do we take the gift of language and use it for other purposes? I'm thinking Facebook, <laughs> anyone? <laughs> or Twitter or whatever, social media. Man, it seems like we see a lot of tearing down happening and people defending their views, defending their rightness, and in the process putting other people down rather than building them up. That's not God's design for language. So how did Jesus approach this problem? What did he do? And I love John 12, 49 and 50. It's an amazing thing that he said. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Now you'd think if anyone could on his own speak words of life and truth, it would be Jesus, right? But Jesus says, I, don't, I didn't say a single word other than what I heard the Father say. As we go about our daily lives, my question to us, to myself, is to what extent can I echo these words of Jesus? To what degree can I say, whatever I said today is just what the Father has told me to say. I can't think of a single day I, that I, I could have said that. But that's what God's design is for language for us. I'm guilty of speaking a lot of my own words, the world according to Larry, right? In order to hear what the Father is saying and to echo his words, I have to spend a lot of time listening to him, marinating in what he is telling me through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer. And we have to discipline ourselves, and it's discipline, it's work, to speak only words of love, grace, mercy, and truth from the Father. So in conclusion, Steve always gives three action items, points to his sermons, and so I took that as a challenge, and I'm going to give you three, three action items. Uh, challenge number one is that Christ's parables, such as the parable of the prodigal father, is a great example. Just read that and think, what is God, what is Christ communicating about his father to us when we see that prodigal father? Most people call it the parable of the prodigal son, but actually prodigal means prodigious, it means generous, and, and father was the one who was prodigal, right? Uh, that communicated the truth of what God is really like, his unfathomable grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness for us. So are we leaning into the truth of who God is and how he feels about us? So many of us don't feel like God loves us. And in, in, in feeling that way and saying that to ourselves, we're repeating a lie that's put there by the enemy. 
God loves us more than we could possibly know. That is the should be the driving thing in our lives, the thing that makes us want to get up in the morning and face a new day. God loves me, right? Okay, challenge number two. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection all communicated the true nature of who God is. Once again, his grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness. How can we live our lives in such a manner that everything about us communicates who he is? That's what we are here for. Our, our lives are language, just like Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was language. It's a language that says, who is God? What is he doing? Does he love me? Our lives should express the answer to those questions. Challenge number three, our words have power for good or for evil. Can we so depend on the Father that our words will be used to build others up and not tear them down? Can we get them to know who him so well? Can we get to know him so well that like Jesus, we speak only those words that he's told us to say. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? And, and you know, these are difficult and challenging days. Uh, I get it. Uh, it's, it's stressful for us to bear up under everything that we're bearing up under right now. The difference between me, the difference between me and Jesus is a vast gulf that I see by the way he used language and the way I use language. I would like to challenge each of us to take one day this week, you pick a day, and and say to God, I am only going to speak the words that you say. Maybe you'll have to stay silent all day, I don't know. But start the day by marinating in God's word who he is, what he wants to, what he thinks of you. Marinate into that, and then in your language, turn that into glory glorifying him, speaking only only what he puts in your mind to speak, and speaking the truth to people around you about his love for them. Let's take one day and see how it goes, and then maybe next week we'll tackle Facebook, okay? Let's pray. Father, this is a challenging topic for us because we know that we are fallen people. We all stumble in many ways, I do. And I think each of us has had the dismaying experience of lighting a destructive fire with words of carelessness, words that tear down. We see in this, once again, the vast gulf between who, just, who is this Jesus who loves us and whom we have committed our lives to, and who are we who stumble as we go about our daily stuff. Father, you have promised to give us all that we need even in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We ask your help. Give us what we need to glorify you through our words and to build others up. May we be able to say at the end of the day, we have said today what you, our Father, has told us to say. Thank you for your astonishing love, your forgiveness, your grace and mercy when we fail, and for your Holy Spirit, whom you have sent to live within us and empower us to do better as we humble ourselves and seek you in the name of the word, who is Jesus, we pray. Amen.